came for the purification rites required of the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifices in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he should not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. And she lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to, to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required of the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee in their own town of Nazareth and a child grew and became strong and was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Father, this is your word. I pray that by your spirit, you would teach us in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'd like to speak with you this morning. We've talked about finding hope. We talked about forgotten hope. And this morning, I want to speak to you about fulfilled hope. I told you I wasn't real excited about preaching on forgotten hope, but I'm going to tell you this morning that I am excited about preaching about fulfilled hope. I've been thinking about hope. And I've been thinking about what I will call the hope process. The hope process. As we've talked about hope these previous two messages... It has brought me to a place of understanding a little more clearly what people experience. What we walk through in the process of seeing a promise, a dream, or a hope come to pass. Let me suggest a few steps in that process. There is a beginning point. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. For the believer, the initiation of hope and dream 
comes from a word from God. It may be a scripture that is read. It may be an exhortation from a brother or sister in Christ. It may be a point made in a teaching or a sermon. But it lights a little flame in our inner man and hope begins to come to life. There is an encouraging step. An encouraging step. It seems to me that dreams that are from God have within them some built-in encouragement. I think it is most commonly received from someone who shares a word or a thought or a prayer with you. Someone who confirms the hope and witnesses to the faithfulness of God. A dear brother or sister who walks the dream with you and keeps you on track. This is one of the most important steps in the process because it prepares you and strengthens you through the next step, and that is that there is a period of struggle. There is a period of struggle. In my personal experience, in so many reflections that I hear from other believers, getting to the realization of a hope or a dream or a desire will involve encountering some times of struggle. Times when it seems as though God is distant or he's silent. Times when the plan that we've put in place to get there appears to not be working at all. Have you been there? Times when feelings of discouragement or frustration and, and even hopelessness creep into our thinking. I believe that these kinds of times are inevitable. And believe it or not, valuable. James writes in chapter 1 of his letter to the Jewish Christians around the region, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that, listen, you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking in anything. I'm going to read that scripture again. Because I think that's not a bad New Year's Day scripture. Count it all joy. Somebody say joy. Count it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be pure and complete, not lacking anything. How about you? I wouldn't mind that. <laughs> I'm okay with the not lacking anything, okay? Also, I think there is the brink of fulfillment. The brink of fulfillment. I think there are certain things that a person experiences right before a promise a dream or a hope come to pass. Like the star above the manger. Signs begin to appear. Indicators begin to surface that something is about to happen. Rumblings of change roll through the atmosphere and a feeling of anticipation rises up within us. Remember the catch-up commercial with Carly Simon singing, Anticipation. The, the, the ketchup is almost at the place of flowing from the bottle. 
you see, you see, some things happen right before the fulfillment of a dream. Finally, there is completion. This is the focal point of what we want to talk about today. When fulfillment arrives, when faith becomes sight, when the promise comes true, the seeker will recognize it and he will rejoice in it. I have said, when the fulfillment arrives, when faith becomes sight, when the promise comes true, the seeker will recognize it and rejoice. Can you feel the feeling right now? Can you feel that feeling? Many of life's experiences go through this process to finally come to the place of arrival. And how great is that feeling? After all you've been through, the prayers, the anxiety, the seeking for direction, the hoping, finally your God brings it to pass. It's a wonderful feeling. And the appropriate response of the believer is rejoicing and praise and worship. I'd like to unpack this scripture this morning. Point one, we see Simeon, the hope-filled believer. The hope-filled believer. This man, Simeon, is described in Luke 2, verse 25. He is described as righteous. Simeon lived a God-following, God-honoring, God-worshipping lifestyle. Few Bible characters are described in this way. I see Simeon as one of those believers whose life was contagious and whose joy was visible. Simeon was a man with hope. He is described as devout. Devout is not a word very often used in our language today, is it? Devout. It means simply committed or devoted especially regarding someone's faith. Simeon was committed to his God. He was involved in the religious activities and the rituals of the temple, and he spent lots of time there. He is said to be waiting for the consolation of Israel, verse 25. Simeon believed what God had foretold. You got that? Simeon believed what God had foretold. It says he was waning on the promised one. I believe that he knew the prophecies of a Messiah to come. He was a man of the word because someone described as devout would be a follower, a seeker of God's truth, a disciple. He was waning on the promised one because he had heard and he had learned about what God said about Messiah to come. He was a student of the word. Now listen to this. The text says that the Holy Spirit was on him. On what kind of person does the Spirit reside? Is it just a random thing that the Holy Spirit is upon just whoever? 
Or is there, is there some qualification that a person must have for the Holy Spirit to be upon him? The role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of people before Christ is somewhat of a mystery. Huh? And, and Bible students have debated it through many years. I'm not going to try to explore the various scholarly opinions regarding all of this, but one thing is clear to me. In the Old Testament, in the period of history before the coming of Christ, and before the giving of the Spirit at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon believers to anoint and empower them for certain tasks in the Old Testament. A couple of examples. Exodus chapter 31, 1 through 3, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, a passage from Exodus. That young man was filled with the Spirit of God. Numbers chapter 27, verse 18, The Lord said to Moses, Take Joshua, the son of Nun, with you, a man whom in is the Spirit. Lay your hand upon him. And we remember the story of Joshua. I love this one. Judges 3.10. Judges is flyover territory for some of us. Judges 3.10. The Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel, and he judged Israel. The Spirit of the Lord came upon this man, and he became a judge of Israel. 1 Samuel 10 and 10. When they had come there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the Spirit of God came upon Saul, and he prophesied among them. You see, folks, the Spirit of God was alive and working in the days of the Old Testament. So clearly, the Bible teaches that the Holy Spirit entered, anointed, and empowered people to accomplish his will in the times before Christ's coming. This one and same spirit was on this man, Simeon. Not only was the Holy Spirit upon Simeon, but it says that the Holy Spirit had revealed something to him. Say revealed. He would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Just a little rabbit trail. Just, just, a, just a little one. The Holy Spirit always anoints for purpose. Not just to make us feel good. The Holy Spirit anoints for purpose. Because he's got mission for our lives. And he wants, us, he wants to empower us to do what God has called us to do. He does that with the comforter and the empowerer, the Holy Spirit. Not just to make you feel good. In the, in the Old Testament, all these passages that we, that we read, the Holy Spirit 
had anointed these folks for a specific purpose to have an impact on the kingdom. Rabbit trail finished. Point two. Point two. We see Simeon, the obedient servant. We see Simeon, the obedient servant. Simply put, Simeon did what the Holy Spirit prompted him to do. He headed out to the temple into the courts, and, he, and, and it said he was led of the Spirit to do so. How vitally important it is for us to be positioned to hear what the Spirit prompts in our lives. He did exactly what was in God's timing so his fulfillment would come to pass. Remember that process of fulfillment? I bet Simeon had some discouraging days. It had been 400 years since the prophet had spoken. And here he is and God says, Hey Simeon, going up to the temple. I got a little surprise for you. You see, Simeon was positioned to hear what God had to say. And, and we could stop there, brother dude. We could stop there. Because, because we could talk all day and pray all day and consider all day about finding ourselves in a position to be able to hear what God wants to say to us. And I think we're distracted. Sorry, started into another rabbit trail. He got up and did what God prompted him to do. Question. Are you positioned to go when God says go? Are your eyes and ears open to what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you? If Simeon, listen, if Simeon had closed his ears or his eyes, he would have missed what God had for him that day. And we'd still be preaching about forgotten hope. Huh? He would have missed what God had for him. The fulfillment of all that Simeon hoped and waited for. He would have missed if he wasn't positioned to hear what God had to say. Are you positioned to go when God says go? You see, the timing of this trip to the temple was perfect. Joseph and Mary had brought the child to the temple to do what the customs of the law required. Simeon, oh my, Simeon immediately recognized who the child was. He immediately recognized who the child was. It says that Simeon took the child into his arms. Wow. I, I don't know how long that this promise had been implanted into Simeon's life. I don't know how many years he lived with this, with this little seed of a promise. And there he was. He was holding it in his arms. He's holding the promise in his arms. 
What a moment for this devoted disciple. The one who had been waning for the hope of Israel, the one who had been told he wouldn't die before he saw the Messiah, was now holding him in his arms. Imagine with me the emotions of Simeon as he, as he looked into the eyes of the young child. Imagine with me the thoughts that went through his mind. In his waning, did he ever doubt or become discouraged? Did, did he ever think that he had not heard God correctly? But there it was. The moment he had hoped for and prayed for, his faith had become sight. Thirdly, we see Simeon and his heart of praise. In his heart of praise. When Simeon took the child into his arms, what's the first thing that happened? He gave praise. First thing that occurs is praise. Simeon praised God. He addressed God. Listen to this. He addressed God as sovereign Lord. God's sovereignty is the attribute that God is God above all. He is the uncreated creator. And he is all-powerful. It is interesting that Simeon calls him Sovereign Lord. You see, when God is called Lord, it is our recognition that he's not just above all, but that a person has put himself into submission of the Lordship of Christ. Saying he is the awesome God is one thing, but saying he is my Lord is much more personal and, and confesses complete obedience and trust in the Lord. You see, you see Simeon addressed God as sovereign Lord. So the, the, the great and awesome uncreated creator is, is Simeon's Lord. He recognizes God's faithfulness. Simeon declares, as you have promised. Say that. As you have promised. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he always keeps his promises. One of the important languages of praise is the acknowledgement of God's faithfulness. Throughout the Psalms, the faithfulness of God is proclaimed and it is celebrated. One of the wonderful attributes of God is his faithfulness. Listen to Psalm 89.1. I will sing of the Lord's great love forever. With my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations. I will declare that your love stands firm forever. Say forever. Forever. And that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself. Psalm 100 verse 5. Psalm 100 is my favorite of the Psalms. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Psalm 117.1 says, Praise the Lord, all you nations. Extol him, all you peoples. For great is his love toward us, and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. 
praise the Lord. I think, listen, I think that Simeon had learned the language of praise. As a believer who was waiting for the Lord, he was undoubtedly a student of the Word of God. He knew that a Messiah was promised, and his reaction to the fulfillment was praise. Fourthly, we see Simeon, a man at peace. We see Simeon, a man of peace. Simeon had seen with his eyes the promised Messiah. Bible says, he declared, my eyes have seen your salvation. He knew that what he was seeing was the fulfillment of what had been promised. It was the fulfillment of what the Holy Spirit had spoken of. And at that realization, he said, now dismiss your servant in peace. Mike, is there not a slide about peace? Oh my goodness, got to work on my PowerPoint skills. There it is. Well, it'll come. that'll come. Let me ask you a question. What brings you peace? Let's explore this for a moment. Peace is an elusive concept. In our day and age, peace is hard to achieve. It's out of reach. It, it, it doesn't seem like it's something that we can get to. There are always stresses, there's always anxiety, and peace is rarely sensed. What brings you peace, my friend? What, what needs to be resolved or solved so that you can find peace? The word of, listen, the word of God teaches that Jesus himself is our peace. Amen. Ephesians 2.13 But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made the two as one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace. There's some theology there, kids. That's a mouthful. And I could preach another hour on that passage, but I'm not going to. What is this barrier? What is this barrier, the wall of hostility that Paul is talking about? It is the barrier of sin between man and God. And it is the greatest barrier or wall of separation that exists. Christ is our peace. 
And that peace is the healed relationship between man and his God. Hmm. All through Christ, who is our peace. If you do not possess this peace that is above all understanding, Jesus Christ will give it to you if you just ask. He will give you the Holy Spirit and there will be inner peace unlike you have ever experienced. Simeon had found peace. Who did he find it in? He found it in the babe in his arms. You and I can find it in the risen, victorious Savior, Jesus Christ, who sits at the right hand of the Father and who lives in our world by His Spirit. Peace is obtained in relationship with a faithful Father. I said, peace is obtained in relationship with the faithful Father. We learn true peace. We learn, say learn. We learn true peace by the study, understanding, and enlightenment by the true and reliable word of the living God. We feel peace by the precious indwelling of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We truly obtain peace as we are obedient and submissive to our sovereign Lord. Christmas is all about the coming of peace. The prophet Isaiah wrote about the coming Messiah. Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born. Simeon held that child in his hands. Unto us a son is given. The son of Joseph and Mary. And and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called. You remember what he will be called in this passage, this beautiful passage. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and the Prince of... You see, friends, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the one who freely gives effective and everlasting peace to all who seek him. Like Simeon, we can come to a place in life of inner peace. You can come to a place in your life like Simeon did of inner peace. In its fulfillment, what was hope is now peace. You catch that? In its fulfillment, what was hope has, has, now, has now morphed into peace. It is miraculously transferred into our lives by the salvation of Christ and the ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. So do you call this Prince of Peace your Lord? What keeps you from saying yes to his offer of peace? 
It is truly available to all. Jesus is hope fulfilled. Fulfilled hope is peace. Friends, in this new year, may he bless you with peace. And may you find your fulfilled hope in him. Amen.